sit back in your seats, get something to eat, and watch this movie. Don't let the kids see it, because, well, let, let, we'll let you hear the, the um, beginning of Thank you. Hello and welcome to Left of the Projector. I am your host, Evan, back again with another film discussion from the left. I'm happy to announce that you can now sign up and be a paid subscriber to the show directly from Spotify. So you can just pop on there and support the show. Also, if you would be so kind as to smash that ratings button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this show, right now as always you can follow the show on tiktok and instagram at left of the projector pod enjoy the show all right we will get into the discussion this week on the coen brothers academy award-winning movie no country for old men and joining me to talk about it is Kami Trucker. Thank you for joining me. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. So um, this movie, as we were briefly discussing before, is a Coen Brothers movie. But you sort of, at first glance, you might not think of this as sort of their bread and butter. So I think as you know, their movies go, just from a general sense, it's quite a departure um, and really has a sort of like a different aesthetic, I think, than some of their movies. Um, but do you think it still like feels like a Coen Brothers movie? Well, I, I think it's a deeply intelligent movie, and it's written incredibly well. And so that goes along with the rest of their, with the rest of their work. It's much more um, bleak yeah. than the rest of their films. There's less humor in it. But there are, you know, there are points of humor, but but it's the it's the kind of humor you'd get in any small town America. Yeah, the 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 feeling of this movie being, you know, somewhat rural Texas, it's definitely mm-hmm. not their. Well, I mean, I guess some of their movies do take place in sort of rural areas, but I think the the setting of the movie too, as just to mention as well, so it takes place in 1980. You know, you think of 1980 America, you know, Ronald Reagan is now president and it's a different, you know, very changing, a changing culture. You could say it's changing financially for people. And I think the movie sort of uh, takes you through that at the very beginning of a place where people are living very ordinary lives and they sort of need something or, you know, need some way out of this, of this life. And so that's how I, I sort of was picturing sort of the main character, Llewellyn, you know, he feels he's definitely trapped in his, his retired, you know, as a welder, I think he says later in the movie, it, it, it depicts that rural life, I think, well. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, it, it starts off with a monologue from one of the protagonists, the sheriff. Yep. And he's recounting how life used to be with the old timers. He talks about the old timers a lot in the film and how he's always kind of looking for that idyllic past that's been romanticized. And and he uses that to base kind of the rest of the film. 
like the the violence and the uh, carnage that ensues after that monologue. And he he, he continuously, <clears throat> you see him continuously um, comparing and contrasting the time before, the the mythology of the time before with present day, and the increasingly uh, violence of contemporary times. What's interesting about how he he has several conversations throughout the movie, and all always in a very I think we you know we said this the humor is very dry. I feel like the sheriff played by Tommy Lee Jones, um, you know he makes sort of jokes, especially I think to his his deputy Wendell, um, kind of they yeah. have a, kind of a funny you know constant sort of running dialogue. But I feel like he kind of alludes to the violence, like he can't believe that it almost exists now. Like, oh, you know, it's comical the way that violence is. He, I think he mentioned someone who he had the story about someone having a dog collar around their neck. And this is pushing way in, later in the movie, but he, it's a, uh, he definitely has this romantic, he romanticizes so much about the past. I think he says like he didn't used to carry a gun or, you know, maybe he, some folks didn't carry a gun. Yep. So sure. yeah, you didn't, cause you didn't, you, there wasn't the violence. You didn't need them. Whereas now you've come to the point, um, and I think that where it kind of plays into it being 1980 and sort of the slow, the, the, the well, not the slow, the, the bigger decline of working class, middle class America. A hundred percent. He had a line in one of his monologues. I just completely lost my thought. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's always searching. He's always romanticizing his father and what his, at least more so in the book, I would say. Mm-hmm. But he's always comparing what um, his father and his grandfather um, would do as sheriffs, and and then considering what's what's going on now and how they would how they would process contemporary times. Yeah, the I actually I have the 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 script open is, is going through all of that, and he often in this movie talks about um, his willingness. Or he, he always knew you had to be willing to die to do this job. And, you know, he wasn't doing it for glory or any of these things. I mean, for his family, obviously, it was sort of like a, you know, the, the family the family uh, business, if you will. But it was sort of like he had to do this because if he didn't, there wouldn't necessarily be someone else there. But, but I, I think like police in general plays an interesting role. It's sort of, I mean, so you have... To kind of set the stage for anyone maybe who hasn't seen it, it's sort of I feel like the movie has the the three sort of main protagonists. Although I feel like Tommy Lee Jones' character is a little bit maybe less included as you have Anton, who's sort of the hitman, sort of uh, uh, crazy person or a psychopath as he's referred to occasionally. The the one here, and then you have Josh Brolin, who's uh, who's Llewellyn, and then you know you kind of have a couple of side characters here and there. But it's sort of like this triangle. I think the kind of constantly plays out through the movie and yeah um, i think it you know it, it you you get the instant he's talking about the violence and how things are different and then the very first introduction to any other character in this movie is anton and his sort of absolute violent behavior from the jump like yeah. it, there's there's no there's no waiting you're just immediately seeing violence he's he's almost the personification of the incoming um, contemporary times that are, that's threatening to completely disrupt everything that um, 
the sheriff has come to um, cherish about the past. Here's right. this unstable force that's just tearing through their town almost through dumb chance, you know, and it just completely upsets everything. And not only that, but he's and he's using like weapons that they don't even understand. Like he has his little gas yep. canister where like it's almost he has to be using something so new because they don't even understand it. It's like it's incomprehensible to them this yes. level of violence. Yep, the it's the modern modernization of violence as well. Yeah, yeah, and and but and the thing that's too so like after sort of you get him sort of escaping from you know being arrested initially. And then he's sort of now kind of out again. The the introduction you see, there's also a, some voiceover and sort of talking by other characters too. I don't think that Anton ever has any thoughts like that, but I think that Llewellyn has a couple voiceover or he talks to himself sometimes. And it's really like a, a one of those movies, this, this is, I feel like is very Coen Brothers-y of someone stumbling upon something by chance. He's out hunting. He, he randomly yep. comes, he sees this, Drug deal gone bad. He finds a, a suitcase full of money, and that that to me is like very Coen Brothersy. But for someone who's living this sort of rural life, of you know, he's very you know he's not he's not wealthy. He you know this is like something a one a once in a, it's like a, a jackpot. I think is the word that I wrote down. It's like he, the only way to get out of that life was was some kind of jackpot, which is yeah. so rare. And you'll you'll notice that um, that he only uh, the um, <clears throat> sorry the violence only came into his life after he after his conscience made him take water back to uh, a survivor of the shootout. Yes, he could if he hadn't gone back. Most likely, the the events don't don't unfold. It. Yes, so it, it's. It's almost like uh, the author, Cormac McCarthy, was saying that <clears throat> the world is going to um, bear down on you with, um, with unknown circumstances whenever you, <laughs> whenever you follow your conscience and do good. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like basically, <laughs> I guess you're saying, you know, why bother do good if it's just going to end up leading to... To death and horror, <laughs> which is which I think I think plays into a, a theme that I noticed in this movie. I know maybe we maybe we can talk through some of the the scenes too, but I think it maybe think of just the idea that you know of kind of an emptiness and being willing to you know do whatever it takes, not really caring about. I mean, yes, Llewellyn, I think you know he cares for his wife, obviously Carla Jean, but he also. I feel like they, they all kind of have this nothing to lose attitude. You know, the sheriff, I think, kind of has that mentality. Things are changing. You know, I'm just going to, you know, go through it. You know, the same thing with Anton. He doesn't he doesn't care about any consequences. Bullets don't matter. He's going to get, you know, shot at. So it's this um, willingness to put everything on the line because if you don't, you're just going to kind of get swallowed up. The sheriff, Ed he chooses to stay out of the oncoming uh whatever whatever the contemporary society is bringing towards him he has 
this nature about him where he's kind of standing back from it all. You know, he's, he's not pursuing it like Anton or um, Llewellyn. Like Llewellyn's in it. He knows what he has to do. He's it, the, the whole film is also kind of a um, kind of competency porn. <laughs> yeah. Because every, because Llewellyn and Anton are both just like really competent and they both know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, there's a, there's a pleasure in witnessing that, but Llewellyn, you know, he, he's in it. He understands the world as it exists today. And he's willing to take those chances to, to be able to, you know, have, have the resources necessary to take care of his family the way he wants. Anton has this, um, these scruples and principles that really only, really only he understands. Yeah. They're like or, kind of self-made guide. Really? Yeah. Or that really speak to the world as it's changing at large. Yeah. That, and then, yeah. And then, yeah. And then Sheriff Ed, he's refusing to go along with the world. Because, you know, he's old, he's almost retired, he doesn't want to, he doesn't like what he sees. And he says, you know, and uh, towards the end of the movie, I feel like I'm unmatched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's just, he's just kind of playing the witness to the unfolding of uh, societal change. Yeah, I think the, the, the line you said, which I think they mentioned in the movie later, is that Anton having principles whereas i feel like no one else really does or if they do it's more of you know society's sort of way of doing things whereas he has these principles above money above killing i mean all the things he's doing and and everyone is very confused by them they don't really understand you know when he meets woody harrelson's character later uh carson he you know he's doesn't understand what he's doing. He doesn't comprehend because he's not really doing it for money, really. I mean, it's just this, you know, if he doesn't do things his own way with this principled stance, you know, you get, you get swallowed up. And so I yeah. think that's, you know, you could, as I, you know, inject ideas of, you know, capitalism in this too. It's if you don't, if you have principles in capitalism, usually it's the opposite. You will, presumably fail because you have to go against the system. So it's kind of a, his character is kind of a weird, um, I know like floating in between the two somehow. Well, it, it really um, kind of highlights the, even the title of the movie, no country for old men, because I mean, it really is just uh, like an analogy for changing times. And how the elder, elderly, you know, they're they're rooted in the past. That's mm-hmm. that's um, that's bigger and better than what it really was. But the things are changing, and the old are not changing with them, and they're all witness to 
seen everything become unrecognizable. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote one of my notes down when I was talking, when I was looking at the, the title, as you said, you know, I, I think I noted that the, you know, sort of the old ways are dying and it kind of is encapsulated as the end of the movie when Tommy Lee Jones, the sheriff Ed, he, you know, he retires. I think he, like you said, he's not willing to go to change. Like it, it's, it can't, he's unable to comprehend or willing to make the, the changes, you know, needed. Whereas, um, Anton is, he's basically going headfirst into them. And actually, you know, you don't get much character development on the deputy Wendell, but he's very eager to be involved, help the DEA and the other people involved in this case. And so being a young deputy, he seems like represent that new generation that's going to presumably change or understand there's change. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like with any, any time in history, the young are going to be they're you know, being raised inside the change. So they're witness. They're not only witness to it, but they're part of the change itself. Um, but yeah, I guess going through the movie a little bit, we kind of, so the, we alluded to, you know, that Llewellyn's character stumbles upon this money. He, he's, like you said, he makes this great gesture to bring water back to the lone survivor who, you know, needed water. And that kind of gets him into, into trouble. He now is um, now being chased by both sort of the, the cartel, presumably, I guess, and then as well as Anton. And so, you know, he, he immediately goes into this sort of survival mode. And like you said before, he's very competent. He knows how to survive. We learn later he was, he fought in Vietnam. We don't, I don't think Anton, well, I guess Anton could have, they don't really ever mention if he had, you know, I think Anton, Anton intentionally doesn't have a past, right? He's very empty. It's sort of like a hollow shell of a, of a human almost. He's really just the horror that everyone is presented with that no one. Comes. Yeah. Sort of like the, the, everyone has to now deal with this new threat and yeah, Llewellyn is, and the thing that I find ironic too, is that Llewellyn ends up dying, you know, towards the end of this movie, but not at the hands of Anton. Anton isn't the one who eventually gets no. to him. It's the it's the Mexican cartel, uh, I believe. Yes. I think Mexican. And so I feel like I I almost kind of felt a little disappointed. I know I know we're jumping to the end of it, but I felt a little bit disappointed that yeah. that's how the sort of that triangle of the three of them kind of ends up. There's not like any direct conflict between them at the end. I don't there, know if there's that way. one shootout they had, which which came to a draw essentially, because Llewellyn and um, Anton were both injured, but they both ended up walking away. And then yeah, it's just um, well, the Mexican cartel does. Uh, locate and kill Llewellyn and then Anton is struck by a car in one of the final scenes of the movie just out of sheer dumb luck yeah. so Anton Anton does walk away but it it's testament to how how everything is subject to the chaos of the universe interesting that's a good point and how uh, 
I think a, a lot of this, the subtext of the movie is, is people waiting for God and God never arriving. Yeah, I'm trying to think about some of the other, the other characters in the movie. I think even, and I think one of the things I just, I'll, I'll connect them to a little bit, but one, one thing that Coen brothers do great well in a lot of their movies, in this movie in particular, but in a different way, is that always you have like sort of the protagonists, main characters, always interacting with, I guess you could say, the common person or just you know the score, the, the store clerk, and other people in the movie, and they always yeah, have yeah. sort of yeah they, yeah right exactly, and they have sort of these little nice little dialogues. In this movie, it's not quite as funny; it's a little more dry. Yeah, but I feel like that. I don't know why I, thought, I when you mentioned sort of they're waiting for God. I don't know why I thought of that. Um, I lost my little. I gotta say, um, I'm a huge Corbett McCarthy fan. I've been on a Cormac McCarthy kick the last few months, just rereading a bunch of his novels. And the best work that Cormac McCarthy does is the quiet moments between between two characters. Just, you know, a protagonist and his friend riding horses or breaking horses or having a campfire or talking in the store. Just it's those small, quiet moments that Cormac McCarthy really shines. It's his violence and his um, his uh, real realism that made him really popular. But it's it's the comfort of those quiet moments that I think he really shines, and a lot of the humor and the dialogue does shine through. The movie is surprisingly close to the book. Well, I think to I think. You in a mo- in in a movie or a novel, either one, I guess, or you know, a, a a making of a novel into a movie, where there are those such violent parts. I think the only way to separate the two is to have those, like you're talking about, those sort of quiet dialogues and those little scenes where it's kind of brings you back to a more hu- you know humane. I know in this movie, Anton occasionally will. In a conversation he has, he might end up killing the person he might be talking to, because of that's you know the the character he is and what he he brings. Yeah. But you need that you need that little break. I think of like horror movies where you need some humor, otherwise the horror is too much. You need some break in the in the pattern. And it's, yeah, he you, seems to do it really well. Yeah, you need safety amidst the chaos. So the so I guess as far as the the movie is concerned, um, you know, midway through I guess maybe the end of the first act, you know, give or take is sort of once there's now the I guess the knowledge that Llewellyn has the money and now Anton is sort of on his trail. He discovers the tracker and the money, which I'm surprised that uh, that uh, Llewellyn, Llewellyn didn't didn't look for something in the money initially. That was felt yeah. like an oversight on his. His intelligence, but at the same time, it is 1980. True, that is true. Yes, I guess you don't. It's surprisingly good technology for the for the era. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I I mean I suppose. I don't I don't know the yeah. I I was born in 82, and that wasn't really popular in um contemporary culture. I guess when I was growing up, I think about like movies from you know, late eighties, early nineties, you know, where there's like a, 
you know, money or something like that. And usually they don't, I don't think that kind of thing exists. Like maybe the maybe the CIA has had this kind of technology they're using abroad, but it wasn't really something well, you would think of. Yes. Speaking of old people left getting left behind, we're both forty, aren't we? Indeed. Yeah, I just turned forty uh, a couple months ago. Or I assume you are as well. Or I guess maybe you could. June. June. Okay. Yeah. What? Exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of <laughs> yeah, thinking of the uh, you know the old time. I mean, I think of. In a lot of the movies, I, so this is a, not a new movie. This movie came out, I think, in 2008 uh, or 2007. And I was well, thinking, oh, well, go ahead. No, I, I was going to ask, do you find yourself looking at, um, I mean, we're both terminally online, I assume. Do you find yourself looking at, um, like, interactions between younger people and wondering, and, and feeling like you you are left out of place and you don't understand everything? I think so, actually, in, in some senses. I mean, obviously, there's all kinds of different types of online spaces and, you know, app spaces and tech spaces. And I think, you know, I mean, having I don't have, I don't have kids that are maybe old enough that they don't have their own old own phones or anything like that yet, which, you know, <laughs> eventually will be coming. But. The idea of, you know, I feel like interaction amongst people in like in college, you know, you look at people in college now, they're born just after the turn of the century. They're born 2000, 2001, 2002. I feel like they, you know, living near a university, I feel like there is a different way they might be communicating. And that might even be a reason for being, you know, in some of, you know, like on TikTok or other spaces where, you know, you almost don't want to be left behind you want to be involved you want to well yeah i mean <laughs> nobody wants to be well nobody wants to feel like they are incompetent or they're like you said being left behind or they don't fully comprehend the world as it as it's as it is and as it as it's progressing but um but of course there there are cultural themes that at 40 years old we just don't comprehend that we just get, you know, but, I, but I feel like a lot of that is also, um, vanity and that we want, we want to be involved. We want to understand. We, we want to be one of the cool hip kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but also it, it, it doesn't take away any, um, any meaning from our lives. No, yeah. no, I, I don't I don't feel like like comparing it to, you know, Sheriff Ed as seeing, you know, he's presumably he's probably 60, 65 in this movie. So born, you know, World War One era or so, give or take. Obviously, it's a different era to move from, you know, he's still in this sort of not a tech age, you know, it's a different time. But I don't mm -hmm. feel like I look back and think of, you know, the 90s or the late 80s or whatever you might say. And see in, in the same way that he's looking at, it, I feel like, you know, we, I feel like this, our age sort of like splits the two in some way where we mm -hmm. kind of had a glimpse of, you know, you could say pre and post nine 11 kind of as a okay. kind of a splitting point, you know, if you will, I feel like that was a good, almost a moment in time that sort of separated era before it. Yeah. A little bit anyway, I think, because I, I often talk about in this, a lot of the movies I've done on this show have been, 
you know, movies that I like from the from the late eighties and nineties. And I'm always mm-hmm. saying, you know, always joking about some of the technology in them, you know, VCR, you know, explain, explaining a VCR or a payphone to like your kids, and they have no idea what you're talking about. They look like you're like you're this old crazy loon explaining how you had to carry around, you know, an i uh, an i uh, not before an iPhone. What was it called? The uh, the i two? Well, I can't even think what's called the. Um, Nokia. <laughs> or, or no, I was thinking of like the original versions of you know um, iTunes, where you uh, before the iPhone. I see. I can't even remember. It's been so long. It's been you know fifteen years. Oh, a Walkman. Like a Walkman or a Zune or any of those things. Like they don't. That's like it's it's unbelievable <laughs> for them to even to think about it. Where now everything is just you know I press a button yeah, and everything is available. Throw your cassette tape in your Walkman. <laughs> yeah, or, or a you know a CD player. Even even talking about CDs is like almost hard for them to understand. Yeah, who buys CDs anymore? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I guess you could have the only the only the only thing I can compare it to is maybe you might watch a DVD. Is probably the yeah. only situation where you might do that. Um, Fair. But yeah, so I mean, the 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 movie, you know, really um, obviously again, it's a different era that it's splitting. But I think mm-hmm. that 1980. And again, maybe I'm 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 just saying that because that's when this movie takes place. But I feel like the late seventies into the early eighties was a very major turning point in so much of American life, culture. You know, um, obviously the change of tax codes and Reagan and Reaganomics and the whole thing. That's that's when unions started to really fold. Yep. They started losing power. Yeah. As soon as Reagan came into office, and yep. so you'll witness working class people becoming more and more desperate and willing to do more and more things to, you know, preserve their life. Which I guess is sort of, I mean, I mean, you know, maybe Llewellyn isn't exactly, you know, an example. He says he's retired. So presumably he's doing, you know, he's no, not, no, that, that was just a joke. He, he, he was, he was oh. working as a, and then he found the money. Oh, oh, okay, I, okay, yeah. That, now that makes, that makes yeah, a lot yeah. more. I'm like, he doesn't seem retired, right? No, he, he was talking to the um, to Woody Harrelson, yeah, or Woody Harrelson character, who was just pestering him about what he did. He said, "I'm retired." Oh, right, right, okay. So yeah, so he's 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 presumably you know 50. Let's see, yeah, give or take, you know, around there. He's working, you know, a uh, um, working job. And mm-hmm. he was willing to do whatever it took to get that payday that was never going to come, you know, yeah. from his regular he's nine probably, to five job. Yeah, he's probably, you know, noticing that he's working slightly longer hours for slightly less pay. Mm-hmm. And, and and he witnesses, yeah, and he just takes advantage of a situation that could help him. Yeah, and I think that's the the thing you were saying is that you know, people as the more the violence and all the things that are coming, you know that the the sheriff um, sheriff Ed is talking about is you know the the rising tide and willing or people are willing now to do like you said do something they might not normally do and obviously this movie is a heightened version of that you know we don't expect people to you know uh, find people aren't going to find. Uh, satchel of money and you know kill their way to to keep it but you're willing to make choices that you might not have normally made um, yeah. i think is is part of it too or, or take increasingly more um drastic risks 
Mm-hmm. What one one note that I I, I had down that why I sort of think about thinking about it now. So um, Llewellyn's uh, wife, Carla Jean, in one point she mentions that she worked at Walmart, which I thought was yeah. sort of a. It's sort of like a passing line in there, but I I I, I wrote it down because it seemed like a you know a reason to to have that line in the movie. You know, she's working at Walmart, and I feel like that in kind of encapsulates you know the the death of unions and this is now you're going to work yeah. a nine to five job. Well, you know, not nine to four. Cause I don't want to give you the 40 hours and pay yep, your benefits. Yep. yep. And it's, um, it's, it's clearly denigrating to Walmart to just assume that you're going to be impoverished if you work at Walmart and they're the largest employer in the United States. So it's, it's clearly a statement on the, um, maybe, maybe on the entire structure of capitalism, but more so on um, the uh, the greed of corporate America. Because it also, and also it was, it was corporate businessmen that had hired Anton Sugar yes. to pursue these violent means to get their money back. Yes, I wanted to touch on that too. That was another note that I had too, uh, which is a good point is that you see the I think you see the office building twice. Once yes. when Carson, Lady Helson's character, goes and is tasked sure. with to go to, to go find him, and then later when Anton comes and you know kills the I guess the one guy. of the main guy, you know. The and executive. It, executive. And and it's it's sort of really perfect. I think you said it said it right, is that you know, at the top of all these people doing what they have to do to survive is some capitalist in a suit in a big tall building making you know decisions by just putting numbers on a page yeah creating mass death in order to get two million dollars back yeah I, and, I, and it's 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 um clever too because they don't <clears throat> they don't delve into any details on the corporation or on the executive or what they do exactly. The only other person from that corporation is just some nobody that's in the office <laughs> right. that witnessed that guy get shot. And so it's it's just it it's a perfect blank slate for any company that you want to put in its place. Exactly. It's just like the faceless corporation that's running, you know, and, and you know, especially given nineteen eighty again, it's sort of the changing of giving corporations the ability to essentially exist without any real regulation regulations are you know completely starting to get cut in the 80s yeah. and so they're able to do it and it's it is kind of perfect that he comes in and he kills the lead you know the leader or the ceo whatever the guy is but really it's just you know it's a corporation is just a a, a body with many heads you know he can kill this guy but it doesn't just do it doesn't do anything there's um one there's one thing I wanted to touch on right at the end when um when Ed is <clears throat> sitting at the breakfast table with his wife and you can tell she's a you know she's happy to have him at home and you know taking comfort in each other's company and he's clearly distraught having uh, just retired. And he's 
he 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 looks disheveled and depressed and he tells the story he tells tells her about his dream where he runs across his father and some snowy field and they're riding horses and his father comes up and passes him by and he's carrying a fire and a horn you know the way they used to and he says i know that when i get up to him he'll have a fire burning there waiting for me and um that's kind of um a preclude to the road where in the book the boy and the the father and son always say to each other we're carrying the fire which is to say we're we're holding up the flame of humanity we refuse to do desperate acts to lessen that will lessen us as human beings for the next generation and i just think that's that's a really touching sentiment yeah i mean so i mean so in a way it's sort of like you know the the character you know tommy lee jones i i think we i think we said before is that his father was also you know in the same you know did the same job so it's sort of like the carrying the torch as or the you know fire for the next generation it's he feels like he doesn't know how to do that right i mean they don't say they have kids right also too and none of that matters um he he, he did have a daughter oh, but he, the only thing the only thing he said is we had we lost a daughter but i don't want it but i'm not going to discuss that okay okay i missed that yeah. but um yeah, and so that that goes into his own feeling of inadequacy when he says, "I feel unmatched," mm-hmm. and then he goes on to tell talk about this dream where his father's carrying this torch on for the next generation, and he just feels like I'm not, I'm not doing what I need to do to carry the torch further than him because I quit because I saw the changes and I couldn't hold up to him and I quit. So he feels, you know, like he lost his own humanity a little bit and that he refused to carry it on. I mean, it's it's hard to say that it's not on that it's dishonorable or it's not honorable what he did. I don't think it's it's hard to blame him. Yeah. So I mean, one I, man yeah. person is is that's also it it goes into the individualism that we're all expected to uphold. Like one sheriff isn't going to stop, you know, the cartels and corporations and human desire to feel good. You know, it's one man isn't enough. You know, you need community for that. So, of course, he feels like the world is stacked up against him and he doesn't have it in him to to fight against it because no single person does. And that's an unwilling expectation that that we're all beset with. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that kind of, uh, so I wrote a little kind of chart almost of, cause I was, I was looking kind of like reading about other people's sort of thoughts about this movie. And I noticed in general, like the most, most every review in the most part was very positive. There were very only a couple sort of negative ones. And one of the ones that I found where they're talking about the one negative review talked about how this movie a lot of the characters sort of had this very nihilistic sort of sense and I think you just kind of touched on it already by saying it's this individualist 
individualistic uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. You have an impulse to destroy. You know, Anton's character is literally just destruction. And even, yeah. you know, uh, Llewellyn isn't really looking to destroy, but he's willing to upend his entire life, you know, yeah. for it. And, and so, yeah. And at no point does Llewellyn reach out to anybody for help. No, he doesn't have, doesn't seem to really have any support, right? No, there's, Friends. there's no community, there's no support. Even his wife, uh, said to the sheriff when they were talking, um, she said, uh, she had called him to ask for help or whatever. And she said something like he's, he's never once asked for help for anything. And like, that's, that's how we're expected to behave. You know, that. It speaks. It also speaks to Cormac McCarthy has a clear, uh, a clear love for all things stoicism. Mm. Like he has a deep love for characters that embody that stoic kind of um, no nonsense uh, mindset or whatever, where you're just gonna do what you're gonna do. And just just suffer through it, but but that's also you know that also says a lot about how we as as a country just expect everyone to carry their weight and the weight of the future coming down on them. Yeah, there's never any real. I mean, with the, with the exception, maybe you could say some groups, you know. Um perhaps people on the left realizing that you're not going to ever succeed or change anything with that mindset because, you know, a hundred people doing their own individual tasks, you know, they can each complete their own individual tasks, but collectively they have the power that's even greater. And, you know, like you said, I think this, this movie has sort of those three people in the movie Anton, the sheriff, Ed, and uh, um, Llewellyn, who are all sort of individual actors, um, where, you know, Llewellyn could have reached out to the sheriff. Obviously, he didn't kill anyone in this movie, right? I don't think he ever kills anyone. His only real crime is stealing this money that, you know, wasn't really his, but presumably he would have been okay. But like you said, he he doesn't reach out for help. Yeah, it was just there. He just picked it up. Yeah, I mean, we didn't steal it. I guess you're right. He didn't really steal it. He he found it. <laughs> found it. Yeah. In quotation marks. Keep it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the the uh, I sort of as I was looking for like looking at that article, it also sort of talked about the sort of the you know the opposite of the nihilistic, which I think plays into sort of you know Marxist um, Marxism and that sense of you know, concern with moral ethics, whereas really no one in this movie really had any morals. I mean, Anton had principles, but he definitely yeah. didn't have any morals. Um, no. And so I, I think this movie and the characters, there is no moral authority or of any kind, even though, you know, you have Sheriff Ed in the movie as presumably, you know, not saying this is true, but you think of, police as in supposedly having this moral standard of laws of you know yeah now that i think about it he really the the only morals that 
that the sheriffs stood for were it, it wasn't even morals it was just a desperation to reach back to a romanticized past yeah i think that's right i don't think he he either he abandoned his morals or you i don't know if you could argue he never had them he doesn't do anything immoral no but but that's i think that's largely due to him just largely being a witness and refusing to get involved in the world at hand. Yeah. There's so there's, it's so funny in the scenes where the deputy Wendell will come and say like, Oh, do you want to go back out to the, you know, the crime scene? And he says like, Oh, is there another body? And he says, no, he says, well, I don't, I don't want to need to go out there. He doesn't twice, twice that happens. (laughs) And then other time the DEA agents out there again, are you going to go back out? He said, I'm fixing to try not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't, he already saw, even if he didn't know at this moment, the evil that was, was looming or the yeah. violence and all that, he already had made up his mind that he wasn't, he was, he was, because the other thing too is when they go to the crime scene initially and they're looking at all the weapons, like they're able to pretty easily know all the different kind of what happened like they kind of do it mm-hmm. in a pretty impressive manner like they kind of see what the shootout was they recognize the two people in the suits that were sort of the other management type people so they're yeah. very smart and they clearly have been seeing continued heroin drug dealing all this stuff and they know all this and he's still just like you know it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore i can't maybe he does realize he can't stop anything anymore and so what's yeah. the point he's just a man <laughs> you know yeah he doesn't have he doesn't have any power i mean there's really. there's um one difference between the book and the um movie and it's uh, the sheriff is talking to ellis and he's um he tells him well he's he's a war hero uh, the sheriff is and he has a bronze star and he talks to um his cousin ellis because uh, he says the reason he got that medal was a complete lie. He was in World War II, him and his um, platoon or whatever company were in a house. The house got shelled. They all, he woke up to all of his um, compatriots uh, still unconscious. He went out, got a machine gun, and fought off a bunch of Germans. And then when night fell, he ran away because they're just going to come kill him. And, you know, he, so, you know, the whatever, they, they make up a different story to make it sound like he was more heroic, like he stayed and fought and didn't abandon his, um, compatriots. And so, he says, like, this has been eating me away for for the last 50 years or whatever. And he's like, what would my father have done? And that's, that's that continuous uh, reaching back to the past to compare yourself to, um, to um, people you uphold as something myth- mythological. You know, we, we, we worship what came before without ever testing 
without ever really putting to test that that warship. I wonder if they left that out because it would somehow degrade his character mm-hmm. where you're meant to. I mean, I, obviously there's, I yeah, don't know, that would play, it would, it would oh, hurt his character a little bit. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, it, it plays out a lot better on page, I think than in a movie because yeah, you would think less of them. Right. Yeah. Most, most patriotic Americans would. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, with, just just realistically, uh, like you know, that that's another ten minute, five ten minutes of a, of an already you know long movie, and so, who am I to say that's why they would do it? But I think it would. Give his character. A little bit less. Um, cover. Honor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that. That's a better word for it. For you know, deciding to retire when he. I mean, he's not. He's not. A, he's an old, fairly old man. No one yeah. would really think, you know, twice about an old man retiring. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but then that's that's another sort of thing you think about with once you know the 1980s hit. I mean, maybe not quite yet, but the 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 fall of the union and also the fall of you know having a penchant from a job you had worked for many years. Yeah. Um, that was you know starting to slowly really? be destroyed with pot you know privatization of. 401ks and and all that kind of thing. So he can retire and be comfortable, presumably as a sheriff at this time, but that's not something that's afforded to most people anymore now. No. You know, and that's, that's the wave. That's, you know, that's the wave of desperation and violence that, that he's terrified of witnessing. And that's why he retires and can't put up with, it changing times because it's it, it all boils down to how many satchels can a person find in their life and not get killed yeah and and, and, I, and I was actually just thinking and you talked i think you or we mentioned how anton is sort of that that violent streak that sort of thing that's unpredictable and i was just sort of thinking about his character in this movie as people sort of have to either you know, get out of his way, presumably, or you, if you do get into his way, you might die. And then there are also several characters, like you're, you're left with the sense of not knowing whether Carla Jean gets killed at the end. You also don't know if that other employee who says he's nobody in the, yeah. in the big office, but you don't know if he dies. So they leave this sort of ambiguity of some of those characters, which I like. I like that not yeah. knowing kind of thing, but it makes me and think, there- yeah, I'll go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, so I feel like Anton's sort of, uh, you know, you could, again, maybe I'm over um, over uh, um, analyzing it somewhat, but, you know, it's almost like the personification of the late stage capitalism that's coming for everyone and you, you either can get out of its way. It's the market, right? Where it will... Um, callously and with no emotion strangle you with handcuffs but then you know it might flip a coin and say hey well done yeah that, that and that's sort of like a good personification of you know your chances like you can you could flip a coin and you could you know when i don't want to say win the lottery that's kind of uh, extreme but you know that's kind of what llewellyn had done in this movie he basically won a lottery yeah, by pure happenstance, finds this money, and I think that's 
what many people were starting to see, you know, starting in the 80s, is that that American dream of, you know, you can just easily, you know, have a decent job and have that pension, all these things. And now it's really just like the flip of a coin, whether where that is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's all up to chance. You know, it's, it's the chaos of the universe and then the added uncertainty of a free market. You know, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll rampage and flatten the world that you live in, but it'll also throw you a bone or two. Yeah. You know, so you participate. Um, one, one thing I noted, this is sort of a non sequitur, but I noticed in the, you know, the parts towards the end of the movie when they're going back and forth between Mexico and America. And I just found it sort of almost humorous in the scene where Llewellyn is, you know, wants to go into America and he, the, the guard is sort of giving him a hard time. And he says he had, you know, he'd fought in Vietnam and they let him go through. But I just think of like the border as being this, seemingly easily crossed first, yeah <laughs> yeah they're just i know it's obviously a different time but you know there's like those drunk kids one the one that you know gives him he buys the jacket from him the shirt yeah and they're just sort of you know casually walking across like yep yeah, i'm just gonna yeah. hop into mexico oh i'm gonna hop home and, and, yeah, and it just was funny yeah i'm gonna go next door to mexico and have a good time and then go back home Right, exactly. You're in, you know, exploit the the things that you can there, and then go back home. And, and also, I also found it funny that the hospital care he received was in Mexico. Also, another little, yep. almost, almost, <laughs> almost too perfect. He couldn't get he couldn't get healthcare in America, so he he nope. had to be in Mexico nope. to to get his free healthcare. He made it though. Yeah, yeah. This movie is great. I, it, it's it's one of my favorites. I love. Cormac McCarthy, the Coen brothers. I couldn't have picked better directors for it. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining again, um, Comedy Trucker. Appreciate uh, you talking about No Country for Old Men. Yeah, anytime, man. Awesome, awesome. Well, anyone out there? Uh, I know we we ruined the end of the movie for you, but if you still, uh, I still would say, I mean, as we always do here, you know, the spoilers are welcome. But yeah, I definitely think you know if you haven't seen this movie, you definitely should. It is, um, you know, quite a just cinemat yeah. just just from just from like a cinematography perspective alone. It's uh, quite a, a quite a good movie, and so oh, I uh, just I just also want to say, Javier Bardem as Anton Sugar was brilliant. His acting was incredible. He gave so much depth to this to this monster. It was incredible. Yes, he, he like, was he was no. very good. I, I I have to say, I feel like he, you know, I think that um, uh, Josh Brolin was good in his character, mm -hmm. yeah. but like it, it, they're 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 such different. It's almost like hard to to be to create a character that is hollow because you know most people are not hollow, so it's yeah. almost more challenging in a sense. I mean, I'm not an actor; I don't know for sure, but it would seem to strike me as difficult to create that. Um, that. It's a villain that you want to watch again. Yeah, sure. I think that's what makes him sort of that anti-hero because yeah. he you root you root against him, but then you kind of almost 
want to see him more though <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly you know the uh the the, the old uh the old ad yeah um but yeah so again uh Kermit trucker thank you for joining me and for anyone out there you can listen to the show on on all platforms